This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And, you know, it still kind of blows my mind that people actually will stop what they're doing during the day and tune in this program. So I say thank you, and I do so genuinely. Uh, this is a show dedicated to taking your phone calls and your uh, questions, questions about life, questions about uh, what's going on. Uh, we'll give you the biblical response. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, uh, I remind you every day the safest way to do it is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 210-340-9585. I'm going to get right to questions. We've got nothing scheduled to talk about. So uh, our first question comes from Christopher. And he asks, why are so many people now refusing to call themselves Christians, preferring instead followers of Jesus? Christopher, you've just sort of zoned in on one of my pet peeves. Um uh, I, I had somebody just last week say, well, you know, I don't really like the word Christian because of the negative connotation, the negative connotations. And so I just refer to myself as a follower of Jesus. And, and I think, well, you're not doing very well, Christopher. That's the thing. Why would anybody do it? So, Christopher, you and me, we're on the same page. I don't know other than they don't want to be associated with some wax or they don't want to be associated with with um, evangelical uh, political Christians. I don't know. But I know they're way too worried about offending people um, instead of offending Jesus. You know, it was, you go to the book of Acts, it was first in Antioch that they were called Christians. And it was a badge of honor. And it still is. You know, Christian means Christ's man or Christ's woman. Little Christ, literally. And and so um, we need to be proud of that. It doesn't matter that there's people who are who are kind of soiling the name. Um, we can tell people what a wonderful witnessing opportunity. Says, oh, you know, I don't like Christians. Well, well, gee, we're we're just following Jesus. What a wonderful opportunity that is 
to to witness to people. So, um, Christopher, it irritates me. Um, I got to keep loving them, but I don't know why we're so worried about being lumped in with the body of Christ. Jesus is very proud, by the way, to call us Christians. We are his men and we are his women. Uh, Jesus loves us. He thinks we are perfect. We're without spot or blemish. And I just, this is just a capitulation to the culture that we live in. Uh, It's like the, the man or the woman that says, well, you know, I like Jesus. I just don't like Christians. Or I like Jesus. I just don't like organized religion, so I don't go to church. Uh, it's just a cop-out, and it always, Christopher, it always means a lukewarm walk with Jesus. So I'm proud of the name Christian. They were proud of it in the first century church when it cost them, many of them, their lives to identify as Christians. Polycarp had no problem. The, 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 the other heroes in Fox's Book of Martyrs had no problem. Why is it now, some 2,000 years later, that we've decided that we're too sensitive to be lumped in with people who are hypocrites. It isn't popular in the world to be a Christian. Uh, that's a badge of honor too, Christopher. So uh, I'm with you on that. I don't have a reason except for that which I have just explained. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, here's an anonymous question. I thought I had this question last week. Um, but it's, he said, uh, I may have missed your answer to this. Was Jonah dead or alive in the fish? J. Vernon McGee is very certain that he was dead and came back to life. Um, I, I said, Anonymous, that he was alive. I believe with all of my heart he's alive. There is absolutely no evidence that he was dead in the fish. And I did answer this question last week. Uh, but I will say this. J. Vernon McGee is a lot smarter than I am. And um, uh, I would consider his opinion uh, very seriously. Uh, And by the way, I have considered his opinion in years past on this. I remember it was probably 20 years ago, the first time I heard him on his radio program uh, deal with this issue when he was going through the book of Jonah. Um, um, I just disagree. But remember, he's a lot smarter than I am. And uh, he's been used by God so wonderfully that he's still being used by God after his death. And that's pretty profound. So I have no problems with uh, J. Vernon McGee disagreeing with me. And, and if, if you were a betting uh, person, anonymous, uh, the smart money would probably be on J. Vernon McGee rather than on me. I just don't think he was dead. There doesn't seem to be any... Um, uh, information at all that would suggest that he wasn't. Thank you very much for the question. Rita says, Pastor Ron, I have some friends who believe that everyone who gets baptized is going to go to heaven. Is that true? Um, No, Rita. The the qualification for going to heaven is being born again. And there's a lot of people, a lot of denominations, certain religious traditions that believe if you get baptized, you are in. It sort of like seals the deal. And that's simply not true. We know it. Uh, I've got some friends, casual friends, who are proponents of infant baptism. And uh, they want to argue with me all the time and, and just say, look, I don't want to argue with you. It's just that you've got to be born again. You've got to come to Jesus of your own free will. And nobody can make that decision for you. And I have yet... To hear a baby. Now, we dedicate babies here all the time at Calvary Chapel. 
I mean, I've dedicated so many babies over the 25 years that I've been here. However, I've never heard one of them say, I want to give my life to Jesus. They can't do it. They're sinners. They prove they're sinners by their behavior. Um, But we dedicate them to the Lord. And um, we wait for the baptism until they can make a decision on their own. So Rita, uh, your friends are wrong. Uh, It is religious tradition. Uh, It sort of makes people feel better. Well, I did the right thing. I christened my child or or we had uh, our baby baptized um, um, or, or we were baptized. It doesn't matter whether we've lived another day or another minute for Jesus. But but I'm going to heaven, and I just think that's the kind of false security that the enemy of our souls is counting on. So um, to be uh, in heaven, Jesus told Nicodemus, a man, I will add a woman, must be born again. The old has to go, the new has to come, and unless you do that, you're not going to heaven. And by the way, there are people who are going to be in heaven that never got baptized. So the idea that baptism is sort of the seal, is, uh, is, is just really, really bad theology. Thank you, Rita. Michael asks, Do you agree with me that penal substitutionary atonement is an essential doctrine of Christianity? Um, Michael, I am um, I'm perplexed by this question. I do. I really do. Um, without the, the the wrath of God, the justice of God being satisfied, I think sometimes in the, in this pursuit of love, God is love. He is, but there is no love without justice being satisfied. There's no hope without justice being satisfied. I mean, imagine for a moment that we could we could be in heaven and find out that there was never any justice in this world. That to me is is unthinkable. And that's why Jesus had to die in our place. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, the Bible says. But that was to satisfy the justice of a holy God. And so the penal substitution and atonement, Jesus taking our place, Jesus receiving the wrath of God, Jesus dying so that we could live, uh, I consider that with all of my heart an essential doctrine of Christianity. Now, the reason I say this perplexes me a little bit, Michael, is because uh, I know some really emotional people who just can't understand uh, an angry God. That's their characterization. That's the wrong one, but but that's the way it's been explained to them. I'll tell you, I, I know a, 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 a woman in particular in the Orthodox faith uh, who uh, I believe with all of my heart is born again, but she just simply can't come to grips with uh, with uh, PSA, penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, the idea of an angry God uh, or God pouring out his wrath on Jesus um, makes any sense at all to her. And I'm betting she's a born-again Christian. She's wrong in this. So um, I, while I believe it is an essential doctrine, I don't think this is one of those doctrines, Michael, that we can simply cast somebody out of heaven because they believe something different. You know, if somebody's a oneness Pentecostal, they're changing who God is. Um, If they throw out PSA, 
They're simply changing what he did. And I think probably in heaven there's some room for misunderstanding. I also think, Michael, that we're going to find there's a lot of, of doctrinal issues that none of us had a real grip or a real understanding of, and we're still going to get to heaven. So the question again gets back to if they're born again, I think if they will look with an open heart, if they will read the word of God, um, uh, I don't know how you can read Psalm 22. I don't know how you can read uh, Isaiah 50 and 53 and 54. I don't know how you can read those passages of Scripture without um, believing that this is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. And I think it all boils down to um, sort of where we're set emotionally in terms of uh, our understanding of justice. For me, it's a simple question. Um, if God's justice is not satisfied, then God is not just. And that, to me, makes it an essential doctrine. Um, I just think we got to, in this particular doctrinal issue, Michael, we have to give a little bit of room uh, for people who misunderstand for uh, a myriad of reasons, but but primarily it just makes them feel bad, and they don't like to think of an angry God. Now, one thing I will say, Michael, is this. Uh, when I'm talking to people who don't want to think about an angry God, I'll, I'll ask them to open the Bible with me to Revelation chapter 19 and say, okay, then explain this. His robe is dipped in the blood of his enemies. This is a just war that we are observing, and Jesus is waging on a Christ-rejecting world when he returns to earth. And usually they don't have an adequate answer, but they just don't like believing in penal substitutionary atonement. Hope that matters. Let's go to line one. We have an anonymous caller on line one. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you well. Thanks. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for all that you do. Um, I'm having a hard day, and I'm, it's one of those days where I guess I'm at the end of my rope, and I'm not asking for medical advice or anything like that because I know that's not, you know, your job. But I guess I was just calling to try to get your take um, on mental illness and, um, like, what the Bible says about that and receiving healing from it. Um, I don't know if it's my postpartum depression or what it is. Well, I have a two-year-old, and um, she I had a, a bout of it when she was, like, a newborn, and it, God healed me from that, and it went away. But um, mm-hmm. here recently, I've just been having a lot of intrusive, what I would call demonic thoughts, but other people yep. have their their own interpretation of that. Some people will say, you know, no, it's just medical. You're overwhelmed. A psychiatrist can help you. And then I have this other camp that's telling me, you know, you just need to kick the devil out and, you know, don't go to inpatient treatment because you can't medicate a, de- a demonic spirit. And I don't know, I'm, today, is, today is the day that uh, I, I called my husband and I told him, honey, you know, I can't do it anymore. Um, I just, I love my baby. I love my life, you know, but I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed with the bad thoughts and, I've never had it before. I'm 34 years old. Um, it, it, this is all very new to me. It's very scary, you know, but it seems like no matter how much I pray, I've been fasting, um, calling on other believers to help me, 
And I just mm-hmm. feel like, you know, I thought to heal me supernaturally. It's not happening, you know. But I, more than anything, I want it to go away. You know, I don't want to yep. live like this. And I don't want to be sick. And I don't want to have, you know, those unhealthy thoughts or whatever. I don't even want to get into it. But I just called it to be what you, what you thought of. If you had any words okay. of encouragement. Okay. What, what I'd like you to do, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to hang up, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll go into detail on on your question. But I'd like to pray for you first. Is that okay? Oh, I guess we already lost her. Uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm Father, here. Oh, okay. I want to pray for you first. Thank you, uh, Father. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, I ask you to take this dear, sweet woman, hold her in your arms. Get real close to her, Lord, and tell her that she's beautiful, that she's perfect, that there's no flaw in her. Would you remind her of of how high and wide and deep and long your love for her is? Would you let her know that you're there with her as she fights the battle? And most of all, Jesus, wrap your arms around her and comfort her by letting her know that she's going to be okay as long as she runs directly to you. Please, Jesus, we ask for relief. Lord, I ask you to block the enemy from bringing these thoughts. I ask you even further to replace those thoughts from Philippians chapter 4. Think about things that are beautiful, things that are pure, things that are noble, things that all are about you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will enable her to let her mind, the place of decision in her heart, the place of affection, be focused on things above. Jesus, where you're seated at the right hand of majesty, right now interceding on her behalf. Heal her, Lord. Encourage her, strengthen her. Have victory here, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Okay, I'm going to... you. Thank you. I, you you've got to, you're you're in the car or something. Please uh, listen very closely to to what I'm going to share with you. Okay, and and please uh, take the time to call back um, in the near future and let us know how you're doing. I'll be praying for you continually from this point forward. Thank you very much for the call. You know, I love opportunities to be able to witness one of our prayers before we go on the air is, Lord, help us to be a source of encouragement. I don't know how much encouragement I'm going to be, but I can tell you this. Uh, I, I hope to be a source of information. Uh, the battle that you're in, Anonymous, is a battle um, that that has to be fought. It's not one that we can just say, Jesus, take these from me, because there is an enemy who, who wants to destroy And he's going to keep pushing those old buttons. He's going to wait until you're vulnerable. And he's going to keep pushing those buttons. And Jesus wants you to know that with the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given you, that you can take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. That's how we fight. And the enemy is relentless. He's not going to give you a break because you're having a bad day. What Jesus is going to do in the middle of a bad day is give you the pathway to victory over it. And it's not uh, anything about uh, uh, binding the, the devil. It's none of that nonsense. This is just one of those moments where you've got to decide who Jesus is and the promises that he's made you. 
um, a promise like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know how the enemy works, and he's condemning you for even having the thoughts. Postpartum depression is real. Uh, being depressed is real. Having, having difficult days, all those things happen to all of us. Uh, but what you can do now is simply hold on to Jesus more tightly than ever before. If you need to go home and say, I need, I need an hour to myself. I, I need to take a walk with Jesus. I need to just get in the bedroom and cry. I'll be okay. Jesus is with me. But you do what you need to do. And the one thing I would hope that you would do is stop asking other Christians for anything other than prayer. I think we're really good at praying for people. We're not really good at giving advice. We've all got our ideas. If you need medication, Anonymous, then you take medication. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing weak about your faith. If you do that, um, I certainly don't think you need therapy or a psychologist. Um, um, Whatever you need, Jesus will be there to provide. And remember, the, the, the battles that he leaves us to fight, those that he doesn't just take away, he leaves them so that we will experience victory over them. So we can see he's strong. When you're weak, he is strong. And this is one of those moments where you can just let Jesus have his way. It's about, I call it replacement theology in terms of how we think. You know, when the enemy wants you to think one way, you take that thought captive and make obedient to Christ, and you're replacing the ugly thoughts with, with the thoughts of, of Jesus. And he'll be there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you, Anonymous, except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. Thankfully, it doesn't have your name there, and you're faithful. It says God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under the temptation. In other words, you can stand up in victory with the temptation. And, and this is a time to exercise faith. I believe it. Uh, it's a time to say I'm having a bad day, um, but, but, but being with Jesus is going to rescue this day. Um, it's a time to remind yourself you're going to be okay. And the only way you can be okay is to be with Jesus. I hope that helps, Anonymous. I will be praying for you. Please, please, please stay in touch with us. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We've got um, inside three minutes now. Um, Anonymous says, this is another Anonymous, how do you deal with innocent lies? Is it always wrong to lie? Anonymous, it is always wrong to lie. Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. That's a family that we don't want to be in. And I don't think there is anything such as an innocent lie. So when we are lying, we are doing the enemy's work. And uh, 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 I don't know what you mean exactly by an innocent lie, but telling somebody, oh, you look nice when you don't think they do. Um, you, you know, I don't think we have to deal with that kind of stuff. Just just be truthful, not blunt, not unkind. Uh, just tell the truth. And tell the truth in love, and God will be there, and he'll protect you. It is always, always, always wrong to lie. 
I had somebody argue with me just this past Christmas. I didn't argue with them, but they wanted to argue with me that uh, it was uh, their, their child, somebody in the church said to their child, that, well, well, Santa Claus isn't real, and this other parent got all upset because they'd convinced them that it was real, and, and it's just a story, and you don't want to crush their hopes. And, and uh, I said, you know, the truth never crushes hopes. Why would you want to lie to your child about Santa Claus? And as innocent as that might be to a lot of people, you're teaching your child how to lie. So um, I, I just don't deal with innocent lies. I don't, I, I don't want to lie. I'd rather say nothing at all. Uh, there are times when um, I've got to go to prayer um, because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So I just do that. But I'd rather say nothing at all than, than have to, to lie or exaggerate or stretch the truth. So uh, I think uh, anonymous, those are the, that's the, the answer, the response that I would give. We are coming up on the end of the first half of today's program. Um, tomorrow night here at Calvary Chapel, just as sort of a heads up, I'm going to be teaching Genesis chapter 31. If there's anybody who's thinking about changing career paths or waiting for a call to ministry uh, from the Lord, be a good passage of scripture for you to listen to. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. And I would ask the audience to join with me in praying for our anonymous caller just a few moments ago. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at pastorronkslr at gmail.com. That's pastorronkslr at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final 30 minutes for this tuesday show 340-9585 we have another anonymous caller on line one from san antonio you are on the air uh, yes, Pastor Arba, um, my question is, uh, you just finished telling someone that they didn't need a therapist, uh, that, you know, totally trusting in God, I believe, uh, something like that is what you were saying. And my question to you is, um, I have a, a daughter-in-law that uh, happens to be a Christian and uh, went to Bible college, uh, or went to college to uh, learn Bible, and uh, and as a matter of fact, she's married to our son, who is a pastor. Is there mm-hmm. fairly new at it, and uh, and she's seen a therapist because there's a lot of issues going on, not only in our family but in hers as well. So. My question is, uh, what uh, what words or scriptures or something um, can 
be told uh, to someone that uh, feels that they need to go to a therapist because they can't go on with life the way it is. Yeah, um, I want to I want to clarify something and be sure I wasn't misunderstood. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. In, in this particular case, um, what this young woman was saying uh, was a spiritual problem. She was under attack from uh, the enemy. Uh, a therapist isn't going to help that. In 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 our conversation together, she was saying that. Um, on one side, she's got people saying Jesus is enough, and the other people saying you need therapy, um, and Jesus is enough. So, so in this particular case, um, um, therapy was not going to be the the answer for this young woman. Um, this was a spiritual problem. She was under spiritual attack. That does not mean I am anti therapy. Uh, I am I am pretty solidly anti uh, psychology. Uh, psychology is founded on godless principles and practices. Uh, I think the Bible has answers uh, for all of the problems that we're going to deal with. And and you, you talked about family problems and a, a, a young woman who who um, uh, feels like maybe she can't go on. Um, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, th- th- that doesn't mean therapy is a bad thing and it might be necessary, but without the details, I just can't, I, I just can't tell you. I can say that, and I can say this confidently, if, if the people that you're talking about, uh, if she's a born-again believer, um, uh, she and her husband, um, with the help of, of a pastor, their pastor, uh, could deal with these problems. But, but there are issues that need uh, therapists, there are issues that need medication, um, and um, uh, giving that kind of advice over a radio program is really problematic because I'm not getting any of the details. It was just in that one case where that 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 precious young woman called, uh, and and her problem was definitely a spiritual problem. So uh, I'm not anti-therapy completely. I'm. I'm, I'm certainly not anti-medications for people who have uh, mental or, or emotional issues that need to be medicated, um, but but I, I just would rather not give advice with very little information at all. Uh, I can say this. Um, your son is a pastor. Um, um, being a pastor is hard enough with a, a rock-solid marriage, um, these are issues that really need to be addressed before your son and his wife are, are dealing with the problems of other people. I'm, I'm firmly, firmly a believer that uh, our houses, our homes need to be in order um, in, in order for us to be able to, to do the work that God has called us to do. And uh, um, I'd be more than happy with more information to... Uh, to offer more, but, but with the little information that you gave, I just don't have much else I can say. I'm so sorry. Let's go to okay. Matthew. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you have more? Nope, no, she hung up. Okay, uh, let's go to line two. Matthew from San Antonio. Thank you for holding, Matthew. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. It was no problem. Uh, long-time caller and long-time listener, and it is oh. such a great relief to call you again. And hear your, you. uh, hear the radio program. Um, I'm going to try to make this short and brief and uh, try okay. to 
explain myself as best as I can. <laughs> but one thing's for sure is, is that I know exactly what they're all going through, especially with um, the anonymous caller that called mm-hmm. about, you know, having, you know, mental issues. and th- I've, I've been mm-hmm. dealing with it. I'm 40, 41 years old right now. And I've been dealing with that since I was a teenager. And yes. I've been wrestling with mental issues for a long time. Um, but I'm not, I don't want to get into that. But, but the thing is, is that, uh, can you please elaborate and clarify, uh, and help me understand why I'm feeling sometimes that, that God cut me off almost like, kind of like a family member. I know God's, you know, God's God, not, not a human family member, but I'm just very, uh, anxiety and, and, and things like that about God cutting me off. And, and you know how it is like where it says he cuts you off and he throws you in the fire, you know, like that verse says where about, about the, um, the vine, you know, he yes. cuts it off and he throws it in the fire. Uh, I just, Pastor Ron, I just, I, I wrestle with that a lot of times, and sometimes I, I don't, but sometimes it gets very heavy, and it just it drags me down, and then it drags me down with my prayer life, it drags me down with my my social life, everything like that, you know. Um, but please uh, help me out, uh, elaborate, or, or I, I, I trust the Holy Spirit will, will speak through you, and I will... Um, uh, listen off the air, and God bless you, Pastor Ron, and it's a blessing to hear you again. I'm, I'm glad I had to. Uh, <laughs> I could. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. God bless. And I'll be praying for you as well, Matthew. Uh, a couple of things. Um, I, I think to understand the teaching on the vine and the and the weeds that are, are useless being burned up, um, to, to understand that, uh, as a threat to your security in Christ is to misunderstand the teaching completely. Uh, I might recommend, Matthew, that you go to our website, calvarysa.com, uh, and go to the Bible studies that I did in the Gospel of John uh, in that teaching, and I think you're going to find a lot of comfort. Now, here's the real issue. Um, like the first caller, the anonymous caller, uh, yours is a spiritual attack. The enemy has found an opening, uh, an opening that that you've perhaps given him by 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 entertaining these thoughts, and he's going to keep pounding that opening. He knows what works with you. He's got a history of what works with you, and he's going to keep pushing those same buttons. So Matthew, in contrast, the the way to fight him is to really and truly believe what the Bible says. First and foremost. We're told that God will never leave you or forsake you. You are family. You're told that he cannot, he will not cut you off. Um, and, and the only answer to an enemy who's going to lie is to say, no, I choose to believe what the word of God says. Uh, that's just one of those things. It's a decision we have to make. And you, you need to get to the place, Matthew, where you recognize the, the, the voice of the devil, the, the sound of the devil as he's speaking to your heart when he's bringing those doubts. And if you can identify, and I'll tell you exactly how to do that. 
when you're feeling cut off, then you've got to open your Bible and say, wait a minute, I cannot be cut off. And if Jesus says that he will never leave you or forsake you, that you cannot be cut off, then anything to the contrary, any feeling, any emotion to the contrary, is simply a lie from the pit of hell. And when you hear those lies start coming back in, they creep back in, then what you do is you say, wait a minute, I can identify that now as a lie. I simply choose not to believe it. I believe that I'm safe and secure. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, we're told that Jesus has you in his hands and no one can snatch you from his hands. The Father, he says, who's greater than he is, also has you in his hands and no one can snatch you out of his hands. That's pretty secure. Ephesians chapter 1, and this is the information you need. These are the, 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 the words that you need to combat the lies of the enemies. Ephesians chapter 1 says that the Holy Spirit has been given to you by God as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So Matthew, it's very important. If you believe what is straightforward, then you don't have to worry about the lies of the enemy who's trying to twist or take things out of context. So um, the parable of the sower, uh, the, the, the Jesus' um, illustration of, of vines and branches, um, you're misunderstanding what Jesus' intent is, what he's teaching there. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment, Matthew. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. It won't take you long. Read them, I don't know, five, six times. Uh, and, and decide that you're going to believe what they say. And I want you to know, Matthew, God loves you. He has a plan for you. And now you can go about shutting the doors that you're leaving open for the enemy to sort of come through the back door and, and beat you up with those things. Romans 8.1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, at the end of Romans uh, 8.31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, starting in verse 39 of Romans 8, uh, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You've got to decide whether or not you really believe those things, and then what you feel doesn't really matter. Uh, Matthew, I hope this this encourages you. I, I, I deal with um, nightmares, horrible nightmares. Um, I, I wake up sometime uh, terrified and tired, and, and I get all kinds of of uh, uh, demonic things that happen to me. And um, what I have learned to do over the years is to set my feet on the ground uh, when I open my eyes and and say, okay, Jesus, today it's just you and me. I know where the source of those nightmares is. In your case, you've got to know where the source of those lies is, who he is. And then you hold on to Jesus. So you are misunderstanding those parables and or those illustrations that Jesus is using. Jesus' ministry was Jewish. He was talking about Israel. They're cut off and not all Jews are going to be saved. We know that. So you've got to understand to whom he's speaking, the context of the message. And then you've got to hold on to the fact that Nothing that you think he said can contradict anything that he said clearly. I absolutely love the fact 
that God, Ephesians 1, 13 says, guarantees my inheritance. Matthew, that means you and I are going to be in heaven together. And there's nothing that the enemy can do about it except huff and puff and threaten to blow your house down. And that's exactly what he's trying to do here. So, Matthew, I'm going to be praying for you as well. Um, Please call back again and let us know uh, that you're doing well, please. Boy, in these last days, this is just sort of a warning to the whole audience. In these last days, these kind of attacks are going to increase exponentially. And we see it happening already. We've got to hold on to what we know is true. We've got to be good as students, rightly dividing the word of God, just as a matter of self-preservation. Forget about being fruitful. That, that comes also. But just as a matter of self-preservation, we have got to hold on to what the word says, the promises that are made. And Matthew, if you and anybody who's dealing with insecure thoughts will just highlight the promises just in Romans 8, not the whole Bible, just in Romans 8. Those are promises that are very personal. And Jesus wants you to enjoy the fact that he's got you. And you're going to be fine on that day. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is my next question. Um, Tim says, God created everything. Does that mean he also created sin and imperfection? No, Tim. Um, when God created everything, he saw that it was good. It was very good. And so we can't blame God. The sin entered the world and changed the world and kept the world from being perfect as God intended it to be. And one of the things we have to be careful of, Tim, um, we, we have a tendency as humans to always want to find cause and general causes. So we just blame God. God must have created evil. God must have created sin or imperfection. He didn't. He created everything perfect. And he, and he just sort of took a big sigh of relief and said, I'm done. It's perfect. And then humans entered the scene and messed things up. So uh, God is not evil. He can't be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt us with evil. Um, God, everything he creates is perfect. And and that's one of the things, Tim, and, and to the other callers today, it's one of the things that we can really, really delight in, the fact that we have been made perfect. We've been made perfect. Matthew, you can remember this one too. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so God only created perfection and that's why by the blood of Jesus we had to be perfect. I hope that answers your question, Tim. Thank you very much for listening to the program. Adam said, Do you know who wrote Kings and Chronicles? Um, Adam, nobody knows. Um, now, now, you can find volumes written on speculation, but nobody knows. Everyone from Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a very popular um, uh, author that's been suggested for the Kings and the Chronicles. Um, timeline doesn't seem to work for me, but but uh, other prophets, uh, even to Ezra. Ezra, the scribe, is, is uh, often... Uh, offered as the 
the author of the historical books. Um, but but there's just no way of knowing at all. All we know is that they've always been part of the Jewish canon. Um, they are our um, historical books. They have uh, different perspectives, not different stories, but different perspectives on the events of the kings and chronicles from from um, um, the perspective of heaven. Um, if you look at First and Second Kings, it's sort of a, 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 a view from Earth on the historical kings and their reigns. Chronicles takes us up higher, and the perspective changes from heaven, and so uh, we get God's perspective on things, and there's a lot of clarity there. Uh, but nobody knows uh, Adam who wrote them. Um, Jeremiah and Ezra are probably the favorites, but uh, it is a useless completely useless exercise um, to figure out who it was. Here is a call-in question from Jarrett. He called the studio. Uh, is it ever okay to lie? What if your father or mother said to lie? Uh, the same commandments say to honor your father and mother. Um, good question, Jarrett. I answered, asked the question about, or answered the question about lying uh, earlier in the program, the first half. Um, but if your mother and father say to lie, you've got to tell them I'm a Christian and Christians can't lie. So I'm honoring you by rightly representing Jesus. Your parents cannot tell you to lie. If anybody tells you to sin, that's when you've got to say no. Let me tell you a quick story, Jarrett. Um, before I got saved, I think the angriest I ever was with Paula. Um, I had a business partner who was trying to cheat me and I just had had it and I didn't want to talk to him and he kept calling and, and I kept telling Paula, tell him I'm not home, tell him I'm not home. And finally she looked at me and she said, I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to lie for you. And I said, why are you not on my side? Uh, and, and he called again and she said, yes, I'll get him and hand me the phone. I was so angry with her. But you know what? Not only did it take a lot of courage, but that demonstrated to me, an unbeliever at the time, that demonstrated to me just how much she loved Jesus. She loved him and was committed to him more than she loved me, more than she was committed to me. And when you take a stand for Jesus that way in your own home, it's difficult. People will be angry with you, but you cannot lie. And so you're not honoring your father and your mother uh, neither are they honoring you if they're trying to get you to sin. So it's just that simple. Um, same principle with government, with laws. Um, when we are told by anybody in a position of authority over us to do anything that is contradictory to what the Word has told us to do, we've got to take the high road, the Jesus road, and tell them no. So, Jarrett, thank you for the question. You hang in there, and maybe it's time, and you don't tell me how old you are, Jarrett, but um, um, maybe it's time to sit down with your mom and dad and have a talk about who your Jesus is and how much you love him. Thank you for the call. 340-9585, I think we're being, well, we've oh, got four minutes, so. Uh, Terry asked a good question. Was Joseph being arrogant when he told his brothers and father and mother about his dreams. Um, Terry, um, Joseph was young and probably naive, probably believed that, and Joseph we know had a pure heart. 
Joseph, we're going to be studying Joseph pretty soon in our Genesis studies. We're we're finishing Jacob over the next uh, several weeks. But after that, we're going to Joseph to finish the book. Joseph was arguably one of the three holiest men in all of scriptures. Uh, along with Daniel and Isaiah, uh, Joseph was just a man um, with God's heart. So I don't think he was being arrogant. I think he was young, and I think he probably uh, got these dreams, and he was thrilled that it was a dream from God. He probably thought his family would be thrilled it was a dream from God. But remember, that was a pretty dysfunctional family, and they had a lot of issues with flesh. So I don't believe he was being arrogant at all. He probably wasn't being wise or mature, but I think his motives were rock-solid. Terry, and I just don't believe uh, at all that that there was arrogance or pride involved. Um, you know, the Bible says to the pure, all things are pure. Well, the reverse is true as well. And I think um, the way that his brothers and even his father uh, responded to him telling the dream was was more of a reflection of their heart toward God than reflection of Joseph's heart. Good question. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to find a question. we got a couple minutes. Kenneth says, When I first got saved, all I thought about was Jesus and serving him. Now, after a couple of years, I don't feel the same level of emotion. How can I get it back? Kenneth, this is not a question I should have taken with just two minutes left. Uh, but But let me just say this. Um, read Jesus' letter to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. They were doing good things, uh, but Jesus said, I hold this against you. You've lost your first love. And I don't know whether this is a case of you losing your first love, but you've got to fall back in love with Jesus. got to hang out with him more. got to spend some time with him. And, And I think sometimes, Kenneth, when we are growing in our faith and we want the same goosebump experiences that we had as brand new believers, I think Jesus is trying to teach us to grow up a little bit. He's trying to grow our faith and he doesn't want us to walk according to feelings or according to goosebumps. He wants us to to begin to walk, to, to be with him every day on the basis of learning about who he is and holding on for dear life um, to the promises that he's made you. That's part of the, the maturity process. So whether or not you've you've lost your first love, maybe you've let sin sort of creep in, I don't know. I, I can't judge that. But maybe he's just trying to help you grow up a little bit. Kenneth, I'm going to have some other thoughts on this on the program tomorrow, so I'll leave your question on the board. Hey, thanks for tuning in. To our anonymous caller and to Matthew, I will be praying for you. Um, may the Lord be with you and bless you. Uh, to the audience, thanks for tuning in. You know, I have no idea how much we appreciate it. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.